right, we are going to the book of Revelation, chapter 6, this morning. Now, the state of America and the Western world is in a culture war, would be to put it mildly. <laughs> Humanism, atheism, from evolution to social liberalism, America's moral and spiritual underpinnings are literally disintegrating. The foundations of Christianity are constantly under attack by liberal politicians, secular educators, morally bankrupt entertainers, and activist judges. And they are doing their dead level best to remove every last vestige of biblical Christianity, any Bible verse off of a statue, off of anything. They've taken the Bible out of schools. They've taken it out of the public square. It's getting to the point where you hardly can even say anything about God publicly without offending somebody else. It is what's happening in America today is such a time warp removed from Americans' Christian origins. The founders of our country clearly believed that our existence and our future survival is based and dependent upon Bible and Christianity. That was why they founded America. That was the very reason why those pilgrims came, was for the propagation of the Christian faith. Paradoxically, with all of that known, strangely, just, I told somebody yesterday, I quoted the verse where Paul said, who hath bewitched you? It's it's like there's this spell on people. Why is it then with all of that that our young people and many adults are being drawn to this world like a moth to a flame? Why? Well, uh, there's, I think, one big reason why God gave us the last book in the Bible called the book of Revelation. And I think the, one of the main reasons for the book of Revelation is to unmask this world and to show us what happens in the end. And for every young person, any person who is allured to this world, you need to read the book of Revelation because I'm telling you, there is nothing in this world that it has to offer. In my office, I have these beautiful vertical blinds I've had for all these years now. The interesting thing about those vertical blinds, if you look at them from one angle, they are you can't see through them. It's opaque. But all you have to do is kind of move to the side, look at it from about a 45-degree angle, and you can actually see out quite clearly. To me, that is a picture of this world. This world shows you everything from the face value, supposedly, and it looks one way. But if you just turn a little bit and get a, some, some Bible glasses on, it's like looking through the... Uh, the louvers of, our, of this world at an angle, and you begin to see what it's really like. And I think that's uh, what the book of Revelation is all about. It unmasks. It gives us 20-20 vision. It helps us look through the louvers of the face value of this world. And so I think that's a good reason why we ought to call it Revelation Revealed, because it not only, we're not only revealing what is coming, but it reveals what is coming. But I think there's another reason why we should study the book of Revelation, and that is because it gives us a victory report. 
It helps us know that all the roams of this world, the gogs and magogs, all the powers of this world, folks, they are already defeated. Jesus has already won the victory. And that's uh, we as his followers have an opportunity to see that because and by our testimony and by the blood of the Lord Jesus and because of the power of his word, we, ha- we have already won. That's a great news today. And I'm glad I can announce that to you. And regardless of what happens in 2020 in the election, Jesus has already won. And uh, someone we may want in there may lose, but I'll tell you one thing, Jesus never loses. He always wins in the end. And so revelation revealed. And so what we've done for the last couple of years is we've taken the first month out of the year uh, or so, uh, or so uh, many, verse, or so many uh, Sundays, and we have uh, studied the book of Revelation. And uh, we don't get all the way through it, but we get enough through it to kind of get us uh, maybe looking at it on our own. And so uh, we're going to take another swipe at that today. Let's all bow for prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful word. Thank you for your amazing truths you've given us. Thank you for this church, Lord, that loves your word. Thank you for the book. Thank you for victory. Thank you that you've already won the war. And I pray that you'll give us a good insight into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Revelation chapter 6, as we look into the future, I need to remind all of us that only God can prophesy. You can't prophesy, you don't know the future, and I don't know the future. Satan doesn't know the future, and in some respects, even God the Son says only the Father knows the hour. Everything that we know about the future has already been said. And so if anybody comes and says, uh, we've got this new idea about the future, you can already write them off. Because everything that we know about the future has already been given. That's why we know this church called the Church of Latter-day Prophecy can't be correct. Because God settled the prophecy, we're told, in the book of Jude, once given to all the saints. And so it is a, it is a settled prophecy But that gives us all the more reason to dig into it so that we can get an idea about what the future holds. Now, to be sure, and I know this is not popular, certainly not uh, what uh, the average uh, church says, but I will tell you, this world is on a collision course with the judgment of God. And America is on a collision course with the judgment of God. And I say with all respect and gratefulness in my heart to all the good that's being done, I promise you the Bible is very clear. There is a judgment day coming, and it is so crazy that the Bible says it is the wrath of God. But more specifically, look at verse 16 of this chapter, verse number, chapter 6, verse 16, and he said unto the mountains, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and look at this, from the wrath of the Lamb. And so if I were to title chapter 16, or chapter 6, we're trying to go through one chapter at a time, I would call this the wrath, and maybe I would call it the righteous wrath of the Lamb. Matthew 24 and verse 21, Jesus said, this shall be the times of great tribulation, For since the beginning of the world to this time, it has never been anything like it. In chapter 1, a couple of years ago, (laughs) for those of you that were here, for those of you that might want to just kind of a fast-forward jet tour of the 
book of Revelation chapter 1 is about Jesus Christ. He is lifted up in all of his wonderful glory. And the language is very poetic. His eyes are a flame of fire. And uh, it talks about his hair, white as wool. And it just has all these wonderful pictures. And it's very poetic, but it's beautiful. It's powerful. Chapters 2 and 3, we have the messages to the seven churches. God preaches to these churches, Ephesus and Smyrna and, and uh, Pergamos and all these other churches. And really, they represent the entire church age. And each church, like even today, has strengths and weaknesses. And some, sadly, have only weaknesses. But um, this, uh, and this is the age that we're in. We are in the uh, age of the church. When did the church start? I'm not sure. Nobody knows. Some think it's on the day of Pentecost. I don't believe that's really the case, but certainly that was a great, uh, great strength giving to the church. But Jesus, we believe, started the church during his earthly ministry with his disciples. But whatever it did start, the fact is we know the end when it comes. And that is when the rapture of Jesus Christ, he comes for his bride. And that is the next event on history. And then uh, we go to chapter um, 5. And we see this vision of Jesus Christ again, the Son receiving from the hand of God the Father a scroll, which actually um, the Bible calls a book, but it's actually a scroll. And it is a title deed given to one who's earned it, who has the purchasing power. And Jesus has the title deed to the universe, and he's the only one who can open this book. And so uh, we come here to now these uh, seals, as they're called. So uh, as we come to verse number one of chapter six, it says, uh, and uh, notice what it says, and I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and heard, as it were, a noise of thunder. So I want you to get this vision in your mind. Here's this scroll. Now it's King James translators call it a book, but it's actually a scroll. And so it's rolled up. And as uh, often would happen, they would put a uh, wax seal or some sort of a seal, and then they would be able to unroll a little bit more. They'd put another seal, and one by one, these seals would be opened, and what would follow would be sort of like uh, someone coming and reading the will to a family. Here's what's going to happen, and you come back the next day, and another seal is broken. Here's what's going to happen again, and only the one who has the right to open it is one who has been given all this, and that is God the Son. And so we find the first seal opened. And if we're going to give it a termination, we'll call it dominion. This is the rise of militant, violent, radical, extremist, unrestrained aggression in this world. So let's get a picture now. We're told that we're here in the church age. So we're living in this wonderful church age and uh, we have all these wonderful blessings and benefits that comes to us in this church. And it's a great thing to worship the Lord and to have this time together. And so here we are worshiping the Lord. And then there's going to come this time when Jesus is going to come for his bride, the church. And then what happens is the tribulation period. And these seals actually occur over several days, several uh, months, several years in this seven-year tribulation period. The first uh, three or four happen in the first half. And then uh, I think maybe uh, six or seven happens uh, or 
Uh, number four or five happens about the middle of the tribulation. And then finally at the end, we have these end. And this is the great tribulation. And so what's going to happen? First of all, after Jesus comes, we're going to have this great dominion, this great uh, radical, violent, unrestrained aggression happening on. And I would say, folks, uh, I think we see that already happening, don't we? These uh, uh, extremism happening. But notice what it says. And I, the lamb, saw a lamb open one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. So John the Apostle hears the thunder. Do we hear the thunder? I hear the thunder. Uh, I'm telling you what, the barometer is dropping around here. When the low pressure system comes, we know that there's a storm brewing. The last part of that says, one of the four beasts says, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him had a bow and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Who are these beasts? Well, let's clarify that. They are not beasts like we would think of beasts, you know, ugly looking beasts. But in fact, uh, the Greek word there is zoa, uh, similar to the word zoe, which uh, has the idea of life. We get a word zoo or zoology, which is the study of living things. Now, we're told that these uh, beasts have some very special characteristics. If we would go back a couple of chapters, chapter 4 and verse 7, it says the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast like the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like the flying eagle. Now, it doesn't say that the, these beasts are a lion or are a calf or are a man or are an eagle, but they are living ones who symbolize. These are cherubim. These are angels that surround the throne of God. They're like beautiful mirrors. You know kind of how when you hang with someone, you kind of start talking like them, or you, you know, they say that dogs look like their masters, you know. I think sometimes uh, it's the opposite. People start looking like their dogs. But uh, at any rate, here they are. Um, so uh, they, these wonderful angels began to reflect Jesus. Now, the first uh, angel uh, reflects him, it says, as a lion. And why not? Because Jesus is the, uh, is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is King Jesus. The second one has the faith, face of an ox. And here we see the serving ministry uh, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so remember, they're around the throne. They are reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ. The third is the face of a man. We see the humanity of our Lord as well as our, his deity. And then fourthly, he, we see the face of an eagle, deity reflecting his glory. And so if we were to put that together, these angels, these cherubim reflect his majesty, his ministry, his humanity, and his deity. It's a really interesting side note is how these four pictures also are summarized in the four gospels. Matthew is the lion um, gospel, because it proclaims Jesus as King of Kings. Uh, Mark is the oxen uh, gospel, because it portrays him as a servant. Luke is the man gospel, because it shows him as the perfect man. And John is the, the gospel of God, and it shows him as deity. And so uh, when you see the four gospels, and we have these four pictures of him, and notice it says, these angels say, come and see, there's a rider on a white horse. Now, notice this rider is on a white horse. Now, 
Symbolically, when someone is riding a horse in Scripture, uh, especially when they come into town, it's usually in a conquering mode. It's usually in a victorious way. But notice it's a white horse. The appearance is beautiful, white, pure, good. It's a very good-looking, beautiful one. I mean, this is like a hero coming into town. But notice this uh, rider on a white horse also has a bow in his hand. That means he has great strength in a military way. And then there's a crown on his head. The fact is, this particular one who is riding this horse has military strength, appears as a white hero on a white horse, and has dominion, has a crown. You'd say, well, this must be Jesus. But no, when you read a little bit further, you realize this is not Jesus at all. In fact, we're told in Revelation chapter 13, verse number 3, that there's going to come a false Messiah, and he's going to be, as it were, on a white horse, and he's going to have all of these things that look like Jesus. No, this is an antichrist spirit. In John chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus told the false teachers in his day, he said, I am come in my Father's name, but you don't receive me. Another is going to come in my name, and you're going to receive him. He said, you don't like the Bible, you don't like God. You contradict everything holy. And that's why during the tribulation period, Jesus said, you're going to receive a false Messiah. And this sinister minister is described in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 25. If you want to turn there, Daniel 8 and verse 25, we have it here for you. But, uh, and through his policy, remember now, Daniel is the Old Testament book of Revelation, as it were. You can study it. It gives you many clarifications of the book of Revelation and vice versa. And through his policy, this man of sin, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. I mean, this is a man with crafty policies and crafty ways doing things. He shall magnify himself in his heart. I mean, this is somebody who's all um, into himself. Don't miss this. It says, and by peace shall destroy many. What? By peace he destroys? Yes, this man of sin, this sinister minister who comes on this white horse, who comes preaching peace. And yet the Bible says he destroys the world by peace. By peace he shall destroy many and shall also stand up against the real king, King Jesus, the prince of princes. But he shall be broken, and he indeed will. The Bible says this man who comes into the world right after the tribulation begins, right after the rapture happens, is going to come along and the world's going to just come after him, goo goo gaga. He's on a white horse and look at his power and he's so smart and he's so full of peace. And they're just going to fall after him. Little children are going to speak his name with reverence. And I don't mean any disrespect, but I tell you what, lately I've been reading about everybody wants Mr. Obama back. Oh, all the Democrats. Oh, if we could just have Mr. Obama back, someone who had so much class and was a man of peace. I was like, oh my goodness, it sounds just like what we're reading here. They'll be, but yet this man in his heart will be a combination of all the Caesars, the Napoleons, the Hitlers, the Stalins, the Saddam Husseins, the Osama bin Ladens, the King Jung. You name every kind of a dictator, terrible ruler, a person, put them all together. This man of sin is going to be all that rolled up into one. And the Bible says the world is just going to follow after him. 
And the whole world will be able to see him because of the, the uh, rise of all the technology. They'll be able to see him speak, if not in a holographic image. Maybe even in their own houses, they'll have this hologram that will speak to them, and he will be this person on a white horse talking all about peace, peace, peace. We need world peace. We need, you know, when someone's talking like that, they have something else in their mind. The first seal is the white horse. The white horse, or the, the by the way, are known, sometimes known as the four horses of the apocalypse, dominion. The second seal, the second horse, division, verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there arose, or there came out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take the peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Well, it only makes sense that uh, when you have someone who comes along preaching peace and has all this power, the next thing that's going to happen is there's going to be a division. You're either going to follow this leader or you're not. And if you don't follow him, there's going to be some serious problem and destruction. This horse is red. Red because of blood that's going to flow. Jesus talked about rumors of wars and wars and rumors of it. I mean, it's just going to be so much time of a season of wars. You know, today, there are so many uh, weapons out there that could destroy this world so many times over, and yet as a country, if we don't somehow keep up with that, we're, they're going to, you've got to have a gun as big as the bad guys, and by the way, thank God for uh, that uh, beautiful thing that happened last week in Texas in the light of all that, uh, that terrible sh church shooting. Thank God that somebody had as big a gun as the bad guy. And, um, you know, if you don't have a big gun as a bad guy, you're in big trouble and you got to keep up with them. And yet the truth is there's so many weapons in the world right now. We could destroy the worlds a hundred times over. And now I just read that Russia has this new hypersonic, um, bomb that's going to come along and that could b blow up everybody. But the Bible's very clear. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 21, I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God, and every man's sword shall be against his brother. All right. So the first seal is the white horse, dominion. The second seal, the red horse, division. The third seal, deprivation, poverty and destitution and despair. People talk about the time in America, the depression. They say, oh, it was such a terrible time. Folks, we have never seen anything like it. And there's been some terrible, terrible times of poverty in this world. Verse 5, and when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. Here's this beautiful beast representing Jesus. They are representing the glory of God. Remember, this is the wrath of the Lamb. And I beheld a low, a black horse. He that sat in him had a pair of balances in his hand. And a voice, I heard a voice out of the voice of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny. And three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Oil and wine are going to be so rare, you better use it sparingly because it's going to be a, it's going to be a very rare commodity even just to have a little bit of grape juice and oil. The black horse. Hardship. Poverty always follows war. But what's going to follow in that day, the world has never seen. You see the symbolism of an old school scale. There's going to be food rationing, and it says it's going to take a man to work an entire day. Remember now the, uh, the King James translators gave us, it says a penny, 
that was a measure back then. And we, we think of a penny today, those little copper things that we have in our drawers, you know, we hardly ever use anymore. But the fact is, this is actually one denarius. It's actually what would qualify as a, a day wage. And so what the scripture is saying here is that a man will work an entire day and earn enough for one loaf of bread, a measure, which is a quart of wheat. Bottom line is, I mean, it's going to be terrible. Today we have hunger, we have problems that often follow war. You go to uh, South Sudan, they say that right now 15 million Sudanese are um, suffering. I just read this week, uh, UN reports are that almost 1 billion people don't have enough food to lead a healthy life. And you go to Yemen, a country that has been war-torn. And of course, there's great famine there. It always follows, famine follows war. The third seal, deprivation. The fourth seal, devastation. Now, a carnage comes in the tribulation period that's worse than war. I mean, this white writer on the war house comes along saying, let's, let's have peace, let's have peace. But in his hand, he's got a bow and arrow. He's got military power. It's a crown on his head. He looks like a hero. But what follows is terrible. And now something worse than war. Verse 7, and when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse. And his name that sat upon was death. Hell followed with him. And power was given to them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. The Greek word for pale is kaloros. We get our word chlorine from it. Have you ever poured out Clorox. It has kind of a pale yellow look to it, to bleach, basically. Um, it's the color of death. Now, notice it is a pale horse. And what follows? What are the riders with him? Death, which actually is the idea of plagues, and hell, which is the idea of Hades, which is the idea of death. And so plagues and death are here with the pale horse. One-fourth, we're told, of the earth is going to die. One-fourth. The current world population, I don't know, what is it, 7 million? <laughs> We're talking pretty close to 2 billion people soon will die during this time. It says these beasts come, beasts uh, ravaged uh, by disease, and to hear this pale horse along. Dr. David Jeremiah says that uh, his opinion is these beasts are not lions and tigers and things like that, but more common pests like rodents. You know, it's an amazing thing what's happened even in America. Uh, they're saying that many big cities in America now, they're going to be overrun by rats pretty soon because the save earthers and the love the planters, they're saying, you know, you can't use any pesticides, you can't use this. And so now we're having a, we, it's really hard to control the pest control. And so you have these rats and in some places they're growing huge. They, uh, Dr. Jer David Jeremiah said that rats produce four, uh, five or more litters per year at eight to ten uh, uh, each litter. They say that rats are responsible for more than one billion worth of food each year, U.S. alone, and that's climbing. And there are certain places you go. In fact, they say in Paris, there are certain parts, parks there. They've been on this uh, green earth thing for a lot uh, longer. There are certain parks in Paris you can't even go to. I mean, the rats have just taken them over. Just forget it. <laughs> you know, you can't take your kids there. Folks, are, if it is rats or whatever it is, the Bible says the beasts are going to come 
out of control. You go to Florida today, there's snakes and there's iguanas. People are, and the crazy uh, rednecks down there in Florida are taking their shotguns and trying to kill those iguanas and shooting their neighbors and everything else. But uh, folks, I'm telling you what, it is just, it is crazy what's going on in our country. A lot of it based on people who have this love for earth so much. Then number five, the fifth seal is devotion. And so the four horsemen have ridden. Now the fifth seal opens. Jesus is the one who has earned the right to open this title deed to the future of the world. Nobody else has the right. The devil doesn't have the right. I don't have the right. You don't have the right. Nobody has the right, but Jesus does. Jesus has the right. So he opens up this scroll, one seal at a time, because this is his description of his wrath. People sometimes portray Jesus as this little effeminate person. I see these old uh, world pictures of Jesus, you know, with this real soft little face and little wrist kind of cocked, and he, you know, is there on a cross. And folks, I'm telling you, that's, that's not Jesus. In fact, the cross wouldn't have been anything like that. But I'll tell you, Jesus has uh, great wrath. He's a loving Savior, but I'll tell you what, uh, when you get a lamb mad, you've got something going on, and that's what's happening here. Now, notice this seal is a seal of devotion, strange enough, but God gives us the great power of prayer. And uh, verse 9, and when he'd opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. By the way, there's coming a day when Christians will be slain for the word of God and for their testimony. If you stand for the word of God, you'll be killed. Simple as that. I mean, it's not, I'm not telling you if, folks, it's going to happen. Now, thank God if you are here and you're a born-again Christian, you're not going to see this day in tribulation. We're out of here. But I'll tell you what, that day is coming. Verse 10, and they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Oh God, you're so wise. You're just. You're loving. You've got to do something. It would be unrighteous for you not to judge this earth. Lord, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be in keeping with your character not to judge this earth. Verse 11, and white robes were given unto every one of them. Sometimes people have the idea that souls are, you know, this atmospheric type thing that they don't have, they don't have some kind of form. Here we find that souls have form so that the robes can be placed over them. And it said unto them, they should rest yet for a little season. Hallelujah, heaven's rest. And their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. You'd say, wait a second. Who are these souls under the altar? Well, these are believers who were killed during the tribulation period. You'd say, wait, stop, wait a second, pastor. I thought all the believers went out at the rapture. Yes, they did. They're all gone. You would say, well, then how, how do, where do all these believers came from? Well, the next chapter, we're going to talk about this great host of soul winners, all with wonderful Jewish names, Goldstein and whatever else, 144,000 Jewish people born again by the grace of God out there soul winning during the tribulation period. They get saved and they start going soul winning and they win millions to Christ, millions to Christ with the help of two wonderful prophets and uh, there's an everlasting angel that preaches the, uh, or there's an angel that preaches the everlasting gospel. I mean, this is a, a, actually a great 
end-time revival during the tribulation period. They get killed because they take the name of Christ. And they say, I'm not taking 666. I'm doing it. I'm not taking it. I, and if they stand for Jesus, they don't have to even say anything about Antichrist. If you stand for Jesus, you will become a martyr. Now, let me say this. They're real martyrs. Not martyrs like Ayatollah Khomeini said last week that this guy Soleimani, that President Trump had enough guts to take out. You know, he's no martyr. Let me tell you right that. He is a butcher. That man was a terrorist. He needed to come out. He's not a martyr. And I know the Iranian president calls him a, a, a martyr, but he's not a martyr. These are true martyrs right here. These are real martyrs. These are the kind that stand for Jesus Christ. And they are killed because of that. And, uh, and these prayer warriors are saying, God, you've got to do something about that. You've got to do something. Now, folks, these days are coming. Now, God may tarry his coming, and we may thank God if I'm, as a saved person, I don't have to go through this time. But I mean, like John said in the book of 1 John, the spirit of Antichrist already working. He, I mean, Antichrist, is that spirit is already working. People are being killed. Martyrs, I read this week, that since 1990, over 100,000 Christians a year have given their life for Jesus Christ. Most of them in Africa. Most of them in places uh, like uh, Nigeria and other places. I mean, just terrible what's happening then. But I will tell you, I want to be faithful. I wish that I could be counted as faithful as them. The sixth seal, disruption. Now a massive cataclysmic climate change. It's interesting to me as I read through this this time. I thought, you know, everybody's talking about climate change. I Honestly, I don't doubt it, frankly. But if it is happening, it just reminds me of what the book of Romans says, that this earth is groaning. Those redemption pains, they're just getting ready for a huge climate change. Huge climate change. Verse 12, and when I beheld, I had opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as a sackcloth of hair. And the moon became as blood. And so the, whatever happens on earth, the sun is blacked out. And then the moon becomes as blood, or it's a full eclipse. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth. Not stars, of course, because if there were suns, the earth would be burned up before they even got there. I'm talking about asteroids there. Actually, the Greek word uh, stars is uh, astera or something like that. It actually means asteroids. And the asteroids of heaven fell into earth. How? like a cluster, as a fig tree, not one big giant one, but thousands of small ones. By the way, we just missed a big giant asteroid yesterday. Did you know that? 10.30 a.m., there was this big old asteroid just zing, zing by America. I mean, uh, the earth. And whew. But anyway, and when she is shaken by a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together, and every mountain, every island moved out of their places. These people running around the world trying to check out volcanoes, walking into live volcanoes, crazy, nutcases. I mean, folks, those, those volcanoes are about ready to blow any time. The Bible says they're going to blow. Every mountain, every island is going to be moved out of its places. This, verse 15, and the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman. <laughs> so interesting to me as you read through that, 
we have this great testimony of these class of men. You see, this war that's coming is not just between nations and it's not just between people, it's between all the classes. And we get the sense here in verse 15 that the earth is almost like a caste system. Kings, great men, rich men, chief captains, we have military, mighty people, bondmen, people in the finance world, people who in the political world. And then it gives us every free man and every bondman, every slave and every free man. They hid themselves in the dens, but it really didn't make a difference how much money, how much political clout you had. When that time comes, it says they're going to hide themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us. <laughs> hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, who shall be able to stand? Now I've got to tell you, these people are, read this, you're just like, you want to you wanna see the depth of evil in the heart of mankind? In the light of everything they've seen, this plagues killing thousands, wars around the world, famine, just little children just dying, dropping over dead in front of them. Can't, you have to work an entire day for a loaf of bread. And then you have these wonderful, beautiful people with these wonderful countenances preaching the gospel, saying you can be saved from all this. And yet people will be so hardened that even when the judgment is falling and the asteroids are just striking the earth, they would run to the mountains and pray to Mother Nature. So, and it says very clearly what they won't do. They will not, in any shape or form, do not want to see the face of God. I'll do anything to not face God. I'll do anything to keep from facing God. And even in the midst of everything, you would think, what is so bad about accepting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? How sad it is. And I say respectfully to those who are the save the planet people and the green earthers, I'll say to you right now, I know you think mankind has messed this earth up and he probably has a bit, but you just wait till see what God does with it. God is going to seriously mess this earth up. Now I believe in being good stewards, but I will promise you this is not a renewable earth. And everybody has this idea of renewable energy, re renewable everything else. <laughs> Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, this earth is not renewable. It is, God is going to change it. He is going to take it out of this place. Well, thank God we won't have to be here during this time. Great is the wrath of the Lamb. Now you say, what is the importance of all this? Well, if you're an unbeliever, you need to be careful about this. Romans chapter 2 and verse 5 says, you are treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. He said it's like a cup being filled. And every day you put off repenting, God just fills that cup with a little more of his wrath. A person who rejects the gospel a little bit, a little wrath. Someone who rejects the gospel in light of everything that's been given to him throughout a lifetime, the Bible says the cup is full. If you're an unbeliever, be warned. If you're a Christian, be thankful. Hallelujah. We're not appointed to wrath. First Thessalonians reminds us that the believer is not appointed to wrath. But not only be thankful, I think we ought to be prayerful. We ought to be faithful to invite people to church. And we ought to 
give them the gospel. We ought to do what we can to pray that God's kingdom would be built and we ought to make sure that churches get built so that the gospel can go forth so that we're not turning people away. Again, I heard a person this week uh, went by over there at Costco and said, I would have come to your produ- production area, but couldn't get in. Folks, we got we to do everything we can to get the gospel out. We got to be faithful in this day because Jesus is coming. But I'm thankful this morning that we're not appointed to wrath. I'll tell you a powerful story and I'll close with this. You know, we who live in this area are very tuned in to the devastation that fire can certainly cause. I heard a very powerful story from the prairie days back in the late 1800s in America. A group of families were making their way to a new homestead, kind of like my grandfather did in Montana. My dad was born in a little homestead in Flat Willow, Montana. These people were making their way to the homestead there in the plains. They traveled in their wagons and they were heading down. The, going was slow. Those wagons don't go very fast. All the children, all the animals, just not an easy way. And then one day they were startled because over in the western sky there was this huge billows of smoke and it looked like it just stretched across the entire horizon. They realized that the prairie was on fire. And they realized that there was nothing between them and that fire. They were going to be burned up. What do they do? Impossible to go back before the flames would be upon them. One man, however, saved the whole group miraculously. What did he do? He commanded, he said, let's set the fire behind us. The one little girl said, what... You're going to set the fire behind us? He said, yes. And they set the fire behind them. And when that, when that was burnt out, then they went over and they got in that burned out area. The child said, are you sure we're not going to be burned up? And he said, listen, my child, and I read this quote, the flames cannot reach us here for we are standing where the fire has already been. We are standing where the fire has already been. People say, well, Can we lose our salvation? Hallelujah. No, because the fire of God's judgment was poured out on Jesus Christ. He took the wrath for me. The fire has already been on him and we are not appointed to wrath because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen and amen. And so we stand here this morning. We look forward to the beautiful rapture of Jesus Christ. I'd like you to bow your heads with me, please. Our heads.